Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned, discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit Learner.co. That's Learner with two L's, .co. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Brooks Brown. He's the founder and CEO of Consortium 9. Guys, what are you looking forward to hearing from Brooks today? I know I know we had him on the show recently, and now that his platform's launched, I'm, I'm really curious to see what he's building in his, with his gaming platform. Uh, John and Greg, what are you guys thinking? Yeah, this is our first follow-up show. Yeah. <laughs> so the yes. first time we've had a guest on, and now we're following up with him on... Uh, on what they what they what they teased us with in the in the initial yeah. episode, so I'm excited about that. So we've got to that point, and uh, I'm really interested in in what they're doing. Um, so he's doing something with NFTs, and we'll let Brooks explain it. And yeah. uh, I'm I'm always excited about how people are, are applying NFTs because I think we're all trying to figure out what that's going to look like in five years. Yeah, that's a really great setup, John. It's it is super interesting, and well, Brooks is super interesting right off the bat. So, so it's great that that uh, you know he, he's such an interesting guy. I hope actually, Kevin, you're able to coax a few more stories out of him as well, because I, I I've I've you've told me that there's some some other good ones there, but we'll see. But um, yeah, I mean, the whole NFT is something that we hear a lot these days, and not everybody. It's not an easy thing to wrap your head around. And so just learning about something new like that, something that's right on the cutting edge and how do you figure that out and explaining what this is, it's gonna be fun. Looking forward to it. And I think this will be an exciting episode for our gaming listeners too, because it's a different yeah. approach to gaming. Yes. Yeah, you very should cool. play a game. You should play a game while listening to this episode. That's a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> I like it, I like it. Very cool. All right, on with the show. Brooks, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I'm excited to have back on the show and, and kind of do a follow-up. The platform is launched now, and I'm really excited. Well, an announced, announced. Okay, announced. Okay, announced. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, so I'm really curious to actually dive into that, but I also think it makes sense to maybe give a bit of a background on your career because you've worked and done some amazing things. So you maybe want to give us a bit of background on yourself and, and your career and then let's dive into the announcement yeah uh, so the very short version is i'm a person who uh, very early on decided i wanted to be in video games my brother and i uh when we were younger we playing monkey island and uh, monkey island 2 specifically and i just remember us talking about how this is all we wanted to do we were we were very young um and uh you know, I ended up, uh, for various reasons, not going to college. I was involved with a, I was a student at Columbine. So it was a, it was a really rough uh, sort of high school, post high school sort of life for a while. And I, I didn't respond well, we'll say. But over time, I, you know, got into game modding and community moderation and writing and a whole bunch of different things and found my way to actually working at LucasArts. Uh, lo and behold, alongside my brother, and we both is. we both worked on the relaunch of Monkey Island one and two as remasters. <laughs> so I got to be a pirate in the scum bar, which uh, as far as like 
my life is concerned, if that's where it ended, I would consider my loop complete, I suppose. That's amazing. Um, you know, while I was at Lucas, I started originally just writing for StarWars.com and doing some light web work. And then uh, thanks to how they operated, um, when my boss quit, that boss quit, uh, sort of my life backfilled into their jobs. And slowly I ended up taking over digital marketing. And uh, at some point, uh, I started making arguments for more than, you know, 50 grand websites and brochureware sites. And at one point they gave me a large budget for the new Lego Star Wars game. And I got a chance to make a, uh, what they were calling at the time, advert games, um, but a sort of web-based MMO for Lego Star Wars that kind of launched my career as my first project I ever really led and uh, won a Webby for best online game, which was a hell of a thing. And I'm still proud of that. Yeah, congrats, man. Um, That's huge. Yeah, I did a whole bunch of really fun stuff and got to, you know, work with some amazing people uh, from there, uh, right as the Disney sale happened. Uh, I happened to be putting in my two weeks. Uh, I ended up working as a vice president for James Cameron's Lightstorm Entertainment um, and heading up digital for the Avatar franchise for four years, which was a, a leap to say the least. And uh, one of the most extraordinary work experiences uh, anyone could ever have. Uh, my My joke is, often that I skipped college and I saved it for when I worked for, <laughs> for Kathy, John and Jim, because they are, uh, they don't accept, um, they accept people who need to learn. They don't accept people who can't and who a lot. So you, you have to spend <laughs> a lot of time really, really, really caring about what you do. And it is, it was a learning experience. Uh, from there, uh, when I sort of realized that the Avatar films weren't going to be released until 2022, uh, and this was 2016, so right. a few, year, few years ago, um, uh, so Starbreeze uh, came along and offered me to take over their U.S. ops, uh, head up their VR, some of their U.S. publishing, their Hollywood stuff. I jumped at that chance. I've always loved VR. Ended up releasing uh, 14 games in VR, but wow. particularly... Um, I ended up building my sort of theses about what VR was possible. I've always felt that uh, game emotions have always been treated almost like carnival tricks. Uh, we enjoy surprise and shock and terror and all those, you know, carnival jokes. If you've ever been on a roller coaster, that's basically the emotions most games do. But I felt VR could pierce a lot of that. And so we built a project called Hero, where you were uh, uh, in the middle of a, marketplace in Syria. We blew you up and you had to crawl through a burning building and pull rubble off of a little girl as her father begged for her life. Um, wow. And it was a 40 by 40 build out. The team was exceptional. Uh, we had an amazing partner in that with Ink Stories who just know how to do storytelling and world building. Um, my team managed and built and like physically built a literal set that was 40 by 40 feet with three rooms and you know, backpacked with a headset so you could fully walk around and touch everything. Like it was wild what we wow. did. Um, then we ended up uh, winning Sundance in Tribeca, and um, that's that's huge. Both of those yeah. are huge, but and then we one won, alone. And then we won uh, Lumiere for most immersive, which is awesome. wild. Um, yeah. And around this time, my son was born, and I was kind of tired of a lot of things, so I took a break. I started consulting, and. Uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of get away from things. I started a company, it failed. Uh, I, lots of different things happened in kind of the last few years. 
but about a year ago, um, I was in a clubhouse room and I started, uh, I have an issue where I don't really like how people about new technology. I had this problem with VR. It made me very few friends in the industry because people lie about what VR and AR are capable of in order to get investment money and drive hype. And crypto is no different. Crypto is, uh, if anything, magnified in that problem. And so about a year ago, I was in a clubhouse room explaining to people that uh, NFTs are not actually anything interesting. They're simply a distributed database. Uh, they don't function differently than that. And if you were pretending there's some panacea to um, you know, games profits or player rights or all of the garbage that they tend to say. Um, I basically spent three hours in a room called pitch me your NFT game ideas. Uh, <laughs> um, and in that time I was kind of confronted about it. I, I was fair. I was being an ass, but I started building towards what I have now. I sat back and I learned how to properly code web three. I brushed back up on my Java. I brushed back up on my Python. It'd been a long time since I'd coded. I've moved on to being an executive. Executives right. don't work. Christ. <laughs> um, like at best, maybe you learn how to do some light Excel programming because you have to for presentations. There's, so it's, it's, it'd been a long time. And in that time, I started to figure out kind of actually how crypto really does function at a code level and that this this fantasy of what we understand it as is pictures or items isn't how it functions. It's the same as saying that, uh, you know, CDs are music and there's no such thing. No one will ever be able to put data on them. Like, it's just a really weird way. We've kind of up the meaning of NFTs well, and crypto in general. Right. Um, so I, I started putting together the concept for what has become NOR, uh, which we announced a few weeks ago. And NOR is, uh, essentially a uh, take on a way i believe we can change the financialization of video games so that players don't have to spend money and actually aren't able to uh, none of our games for example have any purchase pathways um, including being bought there's no items in game there's no nft items or any of that garbage i believe it's all deeply exploitative and i it makes me angry i have a lot of reasons for that um and so we have uh kind of built, uh, like I did with Hero, my thesis about how VR is capable of larger scale emotions. Uh, and I'm pretty proud how we proved it. Um, <laughs> with Nor, my goal is to prove that crypto is not simply more of replicating the way that capitalism works, but instead an inversion of how capital versus commodity currency operates and that we are actually able to do something that truly shifts how financialization works in entertainment. Happy to get into all that, but that's the best I can do as a sort of through line of my life. A lot of other small little stories in there that I, I always love going into, but I'll, I'll avoid sort of rambling for the next 45 minutes. No, I, I think it's, it's really fascinating. So I wanna dive deeper into Nor and how you guys are are changing that because we and we talked about it last time is games are just so complicated now and they as somebody that used to game heavily that just doesn't have the time to game heavily anymore um they're just i find they're so complicated you're right you have to buy your way to fun and it kind of just sucks the life out of it and it sounds like you're really trying to solve that problem with nor so how are you doing that yeah so it's the way the way we kind of came to this um i 
one of the challenges of a lot of things is people forget the cliches they have. There's the this line, uh, Slavoj Žižek, one of my favorite writers, talks about, uh, there's a famous line from Donald Rumsfeld who says, uh, there's known knowns, there's known unknowns, and then there's uh, unknown unknowns. Like it's this old, uh, he's mispronouncing an actual line from someone much smarter. But <laughs> the thing he forgets in the fourth quadrant of kind of that diagram is that there are unknown knowns, things that you don't know, you are not aware of that you are, that you actually know, the things that craft us on a daily basis that we do not cognize, that we don't recognize. Uh, for example, we make the assumption that every day um, when we play any of these free-to-play games, that there is nothing else more to it, that, oh, if I don't spend money, it's it, that this is the way it has to be, that game studios have to operate this way. And we start from those positions. People, when they're starting to make a game these days, they tend to decide, okay, is it a premium purchase or are we going free to play? They don't go, what's, is there another option? They don't, they can't because it's not really their position. And really the way sort of capitalism has pushed us is over time, uh, the need for free to play games because of some very contingent things feels like an inevitability, when in reality, it's a reaction to effectively piracy. Uh, Free-to-play came out of Southeast Asia and China because PC bangs are the biggest thing in the world, and essentially PC bangs would buy 40 copies of a game one time and then never again, and then rent those copies out to people who come into the PC bank. In uh, game studios all over the world were just like, well, how do we monetize this? And so they invented microtransactions in order to counteract this thing that had happened but they never like thought through oh well there's other implications beyond this what else like it's just this very strange thing we make the assumption that it's like a natural evolution of the previous thing for me if we were to separate it all out what games are and need to be can actually be separated pretty quickly from any semblance of financialization my example of this would be soccer uh, I play soccer with my five, my four-year-old. Okay. And yeah. it's uh, literally the same soccer as Messi. Uh, okay. There's no difference. It's the same. I'm, the difference would be sometimes we use a beach ball, and obviously I'm less, he's very much less good than Messi. I am less good. But it's the same sport. It's not like I paid money to pay it and play it in my yard. I don't get pinged with social pressures to purchase this or that. And even if I was, if you watch the World Cup, you watch these things, uh, watch the Olympics, watch any of these major sports where people competitively play, which is what sports are, there are excessive rules around uniforms and shoes and outfits and inches of this and materials of that and size of that and color style of this. You're not going to see anyone wearing, you know, high tops in a soccer match, as an example. Uh, you could, in theory, if they didn't have the rules, but they do. Now, why do they have those rules? It is not because FIFA is like a hyper-ethical master of morals. They don't give a shit. If they could make money, like, they're they're awful. The reason they don't do that is because it perverts the game, and they're aware of this. If people at home noticed that you could spend a few extra bucks and have slightly better shoes, then suddenly they're not able to tell what's happening in the game. They're not able to cognize, as an example, who's the better runner who's the better passer who's the better kicker because now there's things that edge that oh well he's got better shoes i can't tell if he has better shoes so is he really good immediately it starts clouding all of this it becomes difficult to sort of gauge where skill is at now imagine taking that and putting it in a game but right. putting it in a game and actually going 
hey, they can't tell how good they are. You know what we can do with that? We can and make a lot of money. So why don't we take these people who have a ton of money, we give them things that make it seem like they're better at the game, right? Yeah. And then we take people who don't have money, but play a lot and therefore have high skill, and we make it more difficult for them. And then on both sides, either side will never really know if they're getting better or not. So what we can do is we can add little tricks. Zynga was great at this. Uh, a lot of casino noises, a lot of dopamine-based rewards, a lot of very simplistic things that trick us, that teach us, oh, I'm getting better. Oh, I have improved today. Oh my God, I did all the things I was supposed to do. I checked off all four of those achievements and I got my three extra crystals that enabled me to get my free stupid little item in the battle pass this month. These things, they seem, as the way it goes, what they are is they're manipulations of our core desires. They're manipulations of us. And they work both ways. This is not just a, oh, poor people get screwed, which normally is the case, but rich people especially so because they're putting tons of money into a game via manipulation. All of this I find repugnant. And I get that this is the way people make money. So like, I don't fault people for that, but I find the concept repub repugnant. So if there's a way to get around it, that would be my question and to, to me and to my team and to the investors that I've got, some of whom are, uh, you know, very longtime games people, uh, the founder of the ESL, for example, Ralph, who's wonderful. Um, and then at the same time, we've got like Delphi Digital and uh, some extraordinary crypto people. They all agree with me that there is this trend that's happening in crypto. We've called it play to earn over the last year, but really what it is, is it's just free to play with an open economy. Right. And that open economy, they like to say, gives people the chance to monetize their gameplay. They're lying because that's what they do. Uh, everyone kind of doesn't really think of the actual implications of the <laughs> shit they do, which is fine. Welcome to the world. But it's, again, deeply frustrating because... As we start looking at the hardening of free-to-play, which I consider to be repugnant, and I don't think people in video games, there's anyone who's like, thank God for that. I was really looking forward to buying 42 different skins and spending $30 on a can battle pass. Like, no one wants this. Developers don't like it. It's a content farm. Uh, Epic Games, once upon a time, used to put out occasionally more than one game. Now they are putting out costumes and things for Fortnite because that's, that's the manpower that's required. It's, it's an excessive amount of manpower that is required for these games. Uh, so no one likes it, uh, except for like in theory, the market, but even financiers don't like it because the profit margins are razor thin. If you go back, uh, king.com, uh, candy crush, go look at the years they were making the billion dollars and then see how much of that revenue was already eaten up in advertising and user acquisition. You're talking about, you know, 1% margins which is an excessively tiny margin for a huge amount of money and it it starts getting in this very silly place of who the f actually likes this my answer is nobody yet here comes crypto and crypto goes you know what this free-to-play thing i love this so let's make nfts items and let's make it so not only are they in game but players can sell their own and they think that's great because what that means is that players can own their item. Justin Khan, the founder of Twitch, for example, was on Twitter. Yes, players are going to be able to take their items to other games and they can truly own their own value. There's two problems with that. There's a lot of problems. The first is no game designer is ever going to allow that to be the case. I'm never going to let you take whatever item you want from any game into my game. That's just not design worthy. That's not how things work 
from a design perspective and a crafted experience. It's silly to think of. Uh, if I did, why wouldn't you just make a game where every weapon instantly kills everyone in the server? Then yeah. you win every game you go into. It's just this, these things don't get thought through. The, the second problem is that it, it fundamentally misunderstands how NFTs work. Uh, the, right. the base understanding for NFT art is people think, oh, they're buying an NFT, and then they look at the photo. What they don't get is that NFTs are just a database entry. The same way that uh, if you go to a website, that image is, yes, stored on a server somewhere, but you need an Apache database to reference it. And so people, so the website knows to display what image to you and how it gets called. You don't own the image, you own the reference. That reference is not the image as such with games it's no different you don't own the item in your game if i'm playing and i'm holding an axe in my character's hands the nft isn't doing anything it's not even aware that i have it in my hands it's interacting with a back-end database that's checking the license and then telling the machine to display the specific model to me that's inside of my engine that's like really abstracted from the nft at that point so much so that any game developer can just change whatever the any nft is there's no, there's nothing stopping them from doing that because it, the NFT doesn't have a 3D model. It doesn't have in-game data. It can't have any of these things because game engines don't work that way. So for, for a lot of reasons. So these are like some fundamental misunderstandings. So what it actually is happening is when people sit there with their NFTs and they're trading them, what they've actually done is created a way for people to be deeply exploited in how they play. Because now when I play, it's, I find this so frustrating. Uh, Diablo 3's auction house. Uh, by the way, uh, Kevin, at any time, feel free no, to- No, no, keep me. going. Uh, this is good. Uh, Diablo 3's auction house came out, and a lot of people reference it when they talk about items in video games uh, being sold in a larger scale market. If you remember, uh, Diablo and a handful of designers and producers there were really excited because people in Diablo had a problem. They had a whole bunch of garbage. If you've ever played Diablo, yeah. you end up with uh, the game is basically go out, kill things, collect stuff, identify it, sell 99% of it, pray to God one of them is at least for your class, let alone interesting for the skills and abilities you've chosen. This is like the loop of Diablo. So you end up in this weird place where 99% of the shit you grab is not even for your character or for you. So you end up just selling it back for gold. This is the loop for all the games. But what if you could sell that on a larger, uh, you know, big auction house like they have in world of warcraft and what if you could do it for real world money and some everyone got excited about this um who was mentally deficient because they didn't realize that this would change fundamentally how people play the game everyone right. mistakes this when they look back they think it, people were upset that it was pay to win no one cares about pay to win in diablo it's not competitive in that sense what the problem was is now when i played diablo i wasn't playing for the items my character needed, where would I get this drop, the areas I like to play, where did my friends need to go, all of that, because I had a new thing in there. Where can I go to efficiently pay my rent? Because now we're not talking about fun, we're not talking about possibility, we're talking about something very hard, which is cash. And if I can make money in this game and doing one thing is good for my character as I would like to artistically play with them, which is the case with Diablo very often, or, I can go kill these rats in this consumer 10 million times because there's a 0.0001% chance that they're going to drop an item that's worth $400. People do that. And this right. is what happened. Everyone started playing for the cash and for the meta of the marketplace. 
and streamers quit in mass players quit in mass they wouldn't even touch the auction house because suddenly i could make money why wouldn't i the rest of the world broke in to diablo and this is what that open marketplace does it destroys the beautiful magic circle of play that games have gotten very good at figuring out how to manipulate but nfts effectively shatter it uh, real world ownership shatters that if and I, as an example, to go back to soccer again, if at any point the way that soccer could be played is if I said, hey, if you pass it to this guy, it's 40 bucks, pass it to this guy, it's 20, this guy, it's 60. And if you get a goal, it's 200. But if you get a goal after four minutes, it's only 100. Have fun. And then I walked away. Would you just play soccer or would you be thinking about all of those things constantly? Right. Like it completely fucks up why people play and how people play which is intended to be an imminent, simple experience. And crypto has come in and hardened that and made it so everyone is jumping on board. Everyone who is happy to shit all over whatever the video games corpse may have been part of it. Peter Molyneux, for example, who hasn't cared about play in, in 20 years. Uh, he just absolutely hasn't cared about it in the last decade for certain, is suddenly you know running along. I think uh, a handful of people made the comment um, and I think it shows a lot about the crypto group. Uh, it, it was announced Peter Molyneux is working with Gala and a lot of people on Twitter said, well, he's, he's the perfect spokesperson for NFTs. And a lot of crypto bros underneath those comments are going, hell yeah, he is. He's amazing. And I think people who don't know video games don't realize everyone's being like deeply sarcastic. He's perfect <laughs> because he's always full of shit. <laughs> and that is where we start getting into this really brutal broken place that crypto gaming has taken us we end up in a place where we have because it's a full circle economy there's now entire games let's take uh, axie infinity as an example uh axie infinity is a massive game and the team behind it basically built a sort of afk simple battler where you have three little creatures they you choose a few moves like pokemon they fight another person someone wins yay the result of that winning is you get this thing called love potion. Every axie is an NFT. To get more NFTs, more axes, you breed them by using love potion. And then those you can sell on the marketplace, which you can then buy to use to play, to get more SLP, to breed more, to blah, blah, blah. Uh, essentially, uh, not to be too crude about it, factory. We've built a fat digital factory. And by having this work the way it does, it worked very nicely in the Philippines for a very long time uh, because in the Philippines, people didn't have a lot of money, especially during COVID. Right. And so with this, they could actually make a good living playing this game. It was kind of incredible, actually. But then at some point, people with money started taking notice and they started buying axes rather than people owning their own axes. People in the West, mostly, but wealthy people began renting axes to poor people you can borrow my axie and i will get the majority of love potion and i'll pay you for your time essentially like we went from i i i make the joke often i not everyone reads marx everyone should but i just can't help but think that marx would just be walking along going right here guys this 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 is like this, this is my book like my book was about this it's like three volumes this is the thing because now we have this moment where People who've done nothing have bought these items and essentially are assuming the need of a deeply impoverished slave class 
who are there just because they have no option. And for me, uh, there's a lot of things we could do in the digital world. This is not it to do that thing. Uh, games are not meant for this because games are meant for play. The, the last thing, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you speak, sorry, is no, that's fine. the way I look at all of it is when you're building entertainment, especially games, if tomorrow I gave everyone in the world, take Dota and take any of these play to earn or free to play games or whatever, if tomorrow gave everyone $100,000, would anyone be playing the play to earn games tomorrow? And the answer is no, because they're not fun. They're not interesting. But every player in Dota, including the people who do it professionally, they'd play more. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gulf, and we want and want to use Nor to sort of cross that. I'll go ahead, and then I'll, I'll finally get into what Nori is. Sorry for the long ramble. No, no, it's cool. Yeah, that was going to be my next question to you, is really like how does Nor solve this, and what is the economics behind it, and, and how is your new model sustainable? Yeah, so it's one of the big things for us, and I'm I'm going to have to be a little bit opaque about a handful of things because okay. uh, there's a, there's enough that's still in design that I'm trying not to speak too heavily about. Okay. Um, but uh, as I've said, our games are entirely free. Uh, for us, the player is the NFT. I am a big fan of things not being scarce in the digital world. There's there's a reality to the fact that digital can be whatever. I can have a million guns in Halo or one gun in Halo, and it literally doesn't change anything in terms of resources for the world. And I think anything in games that kind of wants to undo that is missing a beautiful chance for some amazing design. But there is one thing we will never be able to duplicate in the digital world, and that's you or me or any of us. So um, our, our platform is based on that concept. Uh, we basically utilize NFTs uh, as the player, the player's soul, it's you. Uh, so when you sign in, you're using it, but there is no purchase pathway to it. It's a zero cost sort of moment. Uh, you play and you can play for free as much as you want. Uh, that setup and that move for us is kind of a big deal because we want to play games more like sports, the same way that chess is intended to operate. I can practice chess by tearing out pieces of paper and drawing on them and organizing them on another drawing. And I can play chess and practice as much as I could if I had a $10,000 chess set. So let, let people practice over and over and over. And then for us, we enable and we promote sort of the big win for us. Um, I have a lot of friends in esports. I've been fortunate to be able to attend a lot of championships and sort of see how uh, you know, things from Dota to League work at that level, how their financialization works. And it's one of the things that uh, I'm always surprised hasn't been embraced more deeply or at least thought through is how does money circulate once you get at that point? Is there enough capital inside of championships and tournaments? And I believe the answer is an emphatic yes if you build an economy around it. And this is kind of the second part to be uh, more opaque. I'd like to talk about the allegory that we're going for to go back to soccer. Okay. As I said, soccer doesn't have money in it. That's not how it functions. Uh, they, there's no moment where a soccer player can buy anything on the field. Now, the moment they step off the field, there is an extraordinary economy around them. There is uh, contracts between them and their agent, them right. and their team, 
them and the league. Uh, FIFA for itself is actually a nonprofit, but every one of those singular stadiums and every one of those teams globally absolutely is a completely for-profit thing that makes just a stupid amount of money. Uh, I think uh, sports 2020 broke half a trillion dollars, and that's before we even get into the sort of secondhand or uh, tertiary markets, like just the primary market of sports, and that was without any games in person. So the money around it is where I started to focus a few years ago. How does sports actually work? Because they don't have microtransactions. They don't have weird vanity items. They don't monetize the player at all, actually. Right. Uh, how, how do they make their money? And at every level from, you know, I, I locally live just outside of Portland and there is a significant peewee baseball uh, thing. And then there's like a Bush league baseball thing out here too. And I just talking to a few people there uh, back in Colorado, we had that big time. Uh, the Zephyrs back when I was younger was the sort of double uh, a team before you headed up into the Rockies at some point before we even had the Rockies. And the way that they financialize is not by charging the players. In fact, very rarely is it the case that you charge the players. Mostly you have outside sponsors. Mostly you have already preset fields and people simply schedule. You have contracts with agents who are willing to put up the capital for the player to be taken care of and also the league to start. That the team owners are at no point considered to be whales. No one's tricking them into saying, you're a very good football player, sir. Instead, it's just the guy who owns the Bengals or just the guy who owns the Ravens or the Broncos and or the, the people who do. And the amount of money they put into all of this and the amount of money they extract is exceptional. They have a vibrant economy. Crypto, specifically the thing that crypto does, it is not a currency. It is actually the other half of that. It is capital. It plays like capital plays, not money, but capital. It allows us to sort of combine things and play in a meta space where suddenly we're talking only about speculation, but it's a complicated speculation. It's one that requires a lot of play sort of in and of itself. And this is the case with trading players between teams. What? How much do you pay any person? Which staff do you have? Which restaurants do you allow in your stadium? Where do you build the stadium? Have, what can be built around it? All of these things are part of that larger economy in sports that people don't really consider, but that enable this vibrancy and this extraordinary growth beyond something as simple as even fantasy football. It's, a, it's an excessively complicated economy. And crypto enables us to abstract all of that. And if we spend our time, which my team is, building an entire chain that's built around this and abstracting these elements, creating the rules that are public and crisp and clear and secure and allow people to see how it sits around but keeps that magic circle around the game completely intact. It completely changes how we can monetize games in general uh, across the board. Uh, specifically, uh, how we're doing it to go with all of that back to the player. Um, one of the through threads through much of what I've done has been my way of trying to get people to feel things when they play games. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, from everything I've done from when I was little, how much they moved me and how much I remember all the way through to my piece hero, the, the thing for me is emotion in games, making play matter. And the experiment that started this off and the thing that is actually at the core of Nor is that you are the NFT. And when you decide you're good enough 
And when you decide you're ready, you get to put your hat in. But it's not just a practice round. It's a game. And it's a game that matters. When someone sees Messi play, the reason that matters is because he's not going to play 14 more games after that one. That's it for the day. That's it for a couple days for a lot of these guys. Right. There's a finite amount of time and a finite amount of games and a finite amount of times this specific combination of teams will come together. How many times can you watch Michael Jordan play against anybody? Well, you can't anymore. I was fortunate, but you can't anymore. Uh, the Avalanche was my hockey team. You don't get yeah. the same team in the late 90s. That team was like God sent. Uh, it's extraordinary to watch. Uh, the This is all the realities of because people are unique. And I believe they are, and I believe you should be. So when you play in our final rounds and our championships, it's not just that you're playing for some, you know, amount of money, because if you die, we burn your NFT. Wow. And, and you're dead. You're gone. You're putting everything up. You're putting yourself on the line the same way that sports players do. Do you think a quarterback staring down the line of 300-pound refrigerators coming at him isn't slightly worried, doesn't feel something in that moment? You, you watch people as they play video games. The, the most popular modes in all of these games, all of them, are these ultra-hardcore permadeath modes. And it's right. because it makes everything we do matter just a little bit more. And imagine if it was just absolute permadeath. Imagine if this was it and you knew this was it, you'd watch me play Minecraft if you knew it was the last time I'd ever get a chance to play in Minecraft because right. the moment changes, the meaning changes. You've assigned new meaning to it and so have I, and there's power there. And that's the power of Nor. Interesting. So how, so you announce Nor, mm -hmm. what can people, like how do people either game designers or developers or, or game companies, can they start using NOR today or, or where's the platform at? We have a, we have a select group of partners. Uh, so the intention is that it is a platform. We're doing our own first game on it because it's um, kind of been a dream of mine to make a very particular game that uses permadeath and have it matter right. um, for like 15 years. It's a very long story. Um, it, okay. Running Man's my favorite movie growing up. I don't care what anyone says. I love that movie. I'll watch it a million <laughs> times. Awesome. But it's, it's not a game that works as a game. Because um, because you don't run. It, it was a funny thing. I'd make early prototypes when I was even like early days of Unreal all the way through to like the last couple of years. It's one of the things that sort of spurred this. Um, but when you lo load in, like you, you run, but it's more like how people run, how I run from my son who's four, who I could totally beat up. Um, like I'm, I'm pretend like I'm scared when he's chasing me. It's right. like that. It's, it sort of doesn't matter. Like I'm not like actually scared. Um, and so for me, the ability to sort of add that layer in and give a person a reason to run, which is the sort of impetus behind my sort of diving down this path. Like, how do I give that meaning? How do I give that drive? And this is my solution for that. So we're building our own, that, that game. I mean, we've got two others in pipe. Uh, we're fortunate, uh, to be funded. We're looking for other partners pretty regularly. And okay. it's one of the great challenges in the, in the crypto gaming space is um, it's filled with a lot of evil stuff. And yeah. so it's very difficult when I have a conversation with someone and I say, uh, people I've cared about for years and people I, I know respect me and like me. And we get along and I say, I, I, hey, I, I remember you mentioned this game, I'd love to do it. 
And they go, oh, that's amazing. I go, yeah, so here's what we're doing. And I mentioned the word crypto and they're like, ah, yeah, I can't do that. That's um, ethically, I have problems. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, so it's a challenge. If there's anyone who is interested or has an idea or has a team, uh, consortium9.co is the website. Drop a note, say hi. We are always looking for partners. Um, the goal is to have a very vibrant, massive number of games on it. They're all intended to be simple. They're all intended to be skill-based with zero purchase path pathways. There's not a lot of the min-maxing. We're not right now aiming at the Warhammer types, but much more the Counter-Strikes, much more the uh, lethal leagues of simple, repetitive, fun, skill-based games that people can really learn to master that are really fun to watch. Interesting. That's that's actually really quite fascinating. And when you said that, the, the I remember playing like, and you probably remember this too, like GoldenEye or Perfect Dark on N64, like mm -hmm. how much time we played that game is like, it was like my whole childhood, really. <laughs> no, it's it's exactly that because the when you look back at those moments, there's two sides to Golden Knight. There's two sides to, I mean, a ton of these games. There for a long time there was the multiplayer and the single player. Sometimes there was even two executables that you'd get with the game. Uh, Soldier of Fortune, I think, did that if I remember right. Soldier of Fortune two multiplayer was a blast, but you'd end up in this place where the single player is great. We're not doing or looking at really doing that. We're interested in in that kind of thing, but I don't. I don't fault the idea of a, a premium purchase one-off game. I, I love those concepts. A, a recent recommendation would be the new Guardians of the Galaxies. I, I passed it over because I assumed it was a dumpster fire, like the Avengers game that was a giant pile of garbage. Um, but uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is exceptionally good. Uh, I was, I'm blown away by it. I'm not even a comic book fan. So it was just, it's just great. That kind of stuff is wonderful. Goldeneye had an amazing single player campaign. Yeah. And then it had this multiplayer campaign that it took me forever to learn how to use a handful of those guns and get good at it, totally. uh, specifically golden gun mode and being able to be the one who's twitchy and nailing that. Uh, it's sequel Perfect Dark and the rail gun through walls. Like there's a lot of high skill things that I know are the reasons that friends and I played these games for hours alone and then practicing and then bringing it together to try to wreck each other. I, I watch people who do this in fighting games. And yeah. Who are better than I will ever goddamn be at any of these. It's insane to watch. I still play them and I still like playing them and I watch them play and it's extraordinary. It's that kind of mentality we're aiming at by doing away with the stuff that is ultimately just exploitative and wrecks the actual core gameplay of any of these experiences. Yeah, fascinating. Well, and then you throw in the nft side of things and if i'm the nft and i have to say i'm gonna play this game and my nft's gone if i lose that adds yeah. another layer of well i may i better make sure i'm very confident in putting my hat in the ring right it, it, it puts you in a place where again um so it, it's one of the things one of the other uses we're doing for the nft and it's uh, one of the nice things there's a handful of good things about crypto i get really angry when people dismiss the entire thing because of the way it's configured. As I like to explain, there's an essentialization with crypto. I mentioned earlier with NFTs, people think it's art. Um, so you watch things like Folding Ideas, an extraordinary video line goes up, which is about crypto and NFTs and isn't wrong at all. There's nothing in it that's wrong, but there's an edge that is. 
And that edge is that all of these things are not a single technology. It's not like it's a thing. It's disparate mass groupings of various pieces that were put in a very particular order by someone at some point. And instead of just dismissing it all outright, which is what most people are doing uh, right. who are angry about it, why don't you take a look and let's break it apart and try to redesign it and see if we can do better? Because there is stuff here that's cool. And one of those is because of how this all works, players own their data on our on our, our setup. Uh, we, right. we we go out of our way to store it in the, the vault behind the NFT effectively. That's what this is. You are that, and we take it very seriously. And we don't use that. Now, at some point, in order to take part in the larger sort of setup, if you decide you want to be you know, in those leagues and start working your way up to being in those final ultra permanent death matches, you have to allow us because we need stats. Like we need to know how you play. You can't be Mr. Ghost. Um, and so the over time as you start, oh, I'm going to do it now. You make that switch. You allow us to see your data, which is great. But then the other half that I think is really fun is um, there's going to become a time where a lot of people are going to be seen by the community as being very good at the game. I think of someone like Ninja, I think of someone like, um, um, God, I can't remember his name. It starts with an S, Call of Duty player who's absurd. There's a lot of them. There's a lot right. of great people who don't take part in tournaments. They right. don't. And they still pride themselves on being like the best. This kind of forces them to put their money where their mouth is because it's such an easy onboarding towards that that I kind of am ready for that sort of social pressure of, um, you know, when I was growing up, there was the the guy who, you'd run into and you'd be playing soccer in the field uh, near the near your school and he'd come through and he'd act like he's hot shit but he'd be like oh, i just couldn't try out i missed it this year and he'd always have some excuse this this moment for that guy feels like a really fun hey we actually you're famous why don't you do it oh, i'm tired like i just i want to <laughs> see what happens it's gonna be fun we're like we're really looking forward to playing with a lot of those sort of tropey things in a really fun way again with the player being the center quite literally of everything we're doing. Interesting. So what happens though? Okay, so I've been practicing for months or years or whatever, it doesn't matter. And then I compete in one of these tournaments. What happens if I lose? Like my NFT is gone? Like how do I re, like I want to, you know, keep there's a lot, better. There's, there's more, there's more to announce with that. Um, okay. You, you effectively are gone, uh, but there is, okay. uh, there are other things. There's just uh, more things that I want to make sure that we get coded and confirmed the security on for a few things. Ah, I'm doing okay. my best. One of the problems with crypto, and this is uh, anyone who says, oh, this crypto network is going to be the best, just ask if they've done how often they do security audits. Because the answer yeah. is going to be they don't. And then you know very well they're not going to survive. Um, there's a lot of that. So I'm doing my best to try to Everything I'm saying so far, I'm very confident in. And I'm trying to say anything that I'm not totally confident in, I'm trying to hold because it's, again, crypto is in a state right now where I don't think people are wrong when they say it's filled with scam artists and scumbags. I, I mean, it's filled with a lot of good people. I know it yeah. is. I'm, I'm working with them. Um, but it, there are rug pulls and there's garbage and there is people who don't understand what they're doing and just charging ahead. It's a lot of that Facebook mentality of move fast, break things. Right. And we know how that turned out. Um, yeah. um, uh, now, if by the way, if you didn't know, Facebook has announced that uh, employees are called meta mates because, <laughs> yes, because genuinely we live in hell, I guess. I don't, I don't <laughs> even know. Um, but it's like, 
that mentality doesn't work and it gets us in bad places. So I'm doing my best to kind of, these things are, I'm confident, but I, I genuinely believe we're going to have to show, not tell. And so uh, some things I want to hold off on until it's actually happening. No, I'm I, sorry, sorry about that. No, I appreciate that. I actually think that's a really good answer, right? We have, because... we have some, some, we have some really cool answers. I just can't give them. No, that's fair. I, I'm I'm fascinated to see where you take this, really, because it's a totally, I guess, concept that's been around forever, but hasn't ever been brought into the gaming space. Is that fair to say? Well, yeah, it's and it's it's been brought in in various ways, some very clever ways. The one of the versions of this that I ended up sort of making a mini prototype similar to. Uh, I made a very shitty uh, quick chain on flow uh, as a practice thing and then kind of did an integration with uh, Minecraft because once upon a time I played this version of Minecraft that uh, you could log into and it checked your Mac address and when you died it blocked it. Okay. It was re really simple but what it did because that's it that's your computer's never connecting to that server ever again and uh, so when you log in you'd see all this stuff that people had done because there's no one else on the server just you but it's you're like i was like four thousandth. i was you know whatever uh buildings and destruction and holes in walls and and penises built out of sand and it was weird um but it's like this everyone who did that knew they weren't going to be around and there's an extraordinary eeriness to this one server where almost I was seeing the remnants of all these lives. And again, when we get back into how do we make games feel? How do we make people feel? The more we're able to add the complexities of those kinds of emotions, the more we're able to really play into the stuff that I think hits people in their real lives. The, the alienation, the separation, the, their own place in the universe, um, those kinds of things. I think we can help people resonate with those and we can, play with those a little bit more no that's that's really quite fascinating but we're coming to the end of the show so how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about nor and and everything else you guys are building mm -hmm. yeah it's a uh, uh, welcome to nor.com uh you can find us there all of our social links are there we have a discord all that fun stuff uh over the next couple of weeks there's a lot more announcements and we kind of aren't stopping for the next uh, at this point, uh, nine to 12 months, uh, is kind of our current, uh, everything will be out there. It's kind of wild and it's, uh, extraordinary, uh, that I've been given the chance to do this, honestly. Oh, that's so. amazing, man. Well, Brooks, again, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and look forward to keeping in touch with you and, uh, have a good rest of your day. Oh, thanks so much. Glad to be here. It's always Thank fun. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Learner.co show. If you're looking to be a guest, try out our app, or want to get in touch, please visit Learner with two L's at www.learner.co. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Thanks for listening and keep on learning.